So the next day is the way that this passage that we're looking at this week begins, just like last week. And if you remember, beginning way back in chapter 1, verse 19, we're looking at a whole week. And John is being very deliberate about the way that he structured this. If we go back to the very first words in John, it says, in the beginning was the word. Supposed to take us back to Genesis 1.1, in the beginning. And so then from verse 19, after this prologue, the the first 18 verses where we see who Jesus is, this God who has become flesh, we see that actually he's bringing about a new creation. And we're building up towards the wedding in Cana. Now this next day is day five, and the way that the Jews would have counted would take us to day seven when the wedding in Cana happens at the beginning of chapter two. It says on the third day, fifth day, sixth day, seventh day. And so on that seventh day, there's going to be this miracle that Lewis is going to explain to us in a couple of weeks' time, where Jesus turns water into wine, and it could seem like a really obscure passage. Like, why? Why does he do that? Just to show off? Just so we can have a party? Well, actually, wine was a sign of fruitfulness. A sign of Eden, if you like, that first garden. A sign of blessing. That through Jesus, a new creation was coming. And that you could be a new creation. That you could be born again. That you could have new life. And so as we approach that, we're going to see Jesus be very deliberate about his language. As uh, we look at the story of Philip and Nathaniel. And I want us to just pause for a moment and ask ourselves, what is it that we think truly satisfies us? What is it you're pursuing in your life that you think is going to deeply satisfy you? And the reason I'm asking that question is because blessing in the Bible is really much more than we think it is. It is about being deeply blessed, deeply satisfied. That something so whole takes place that we suddenly find that we're content, we're at peace, we're satisfied. And so what Jesus is coming and showing us is that the only way that we can be truly blessed is through God, through him, and that he's come to bring us that blessing. Jesus asked in that passage last week, he asked Andrew and the other disciple, what do you want? I just want to repeat that question to you. What do you want? What do you really want? True life and deep satisfaction is only possible with God. Now, just a little bit of context here, okay? After the destruction of the first temple in 588 BC, during the Babylonian exile, 
we see that the center of Jewish life shifts away from the temple to synagogues, to rabbis, to these teachers who are looking to preserve the teachings of the Torah. And they become rock stars. Honestly, these were the guys that you wanted to be in Jewish culture and life. Jesus' first step towards building his elite team of disciples. Disciples would come and follow after rabbis, and that was the easiest way to become a rabbi. If you wanted to be a rabbi, you wanted to be a rock star rabbi, you would want to become a disciple of one of these rabbis. But to become a disciple of one of those rabbis, you had to apply, and the, the conditions to be met were super high. It was so competitive. The rabbis wouldn't come to you, you would go to them. You better have your CV together, you better be able to show off just how incredible your knowledge is, that you understand the Torah, you know how to handle it, you're a good public speaker, because the rabbi wanted the best disciples that he could have. But Jesus' first step towards building an elite team as a rabbi of all rabbis, is fascinating. He doesn't go to Jerusalem. He doesn't even go to Capernaum. Capernaum would be kind of uh, in Galilee, the place that you might go in order to find some disciples. He goes to Galilee and he goes to ordinary fishing towns. Galileans were the butt of Judean jokes. They had a real lack of Jewish sophistication. They had funny accents. And the worst thing about them, they tended to be lax about observing the Jewish law. Why on earth would you go to them to create this elite team that's going to bring your teaching, as Jesus goes on to say, to the ends of the earth? The only possible Galilean exception would have been Capernaum, but definitely not Bethsaida. The rabbis operated like Oxbridge today. Like, don't apply unless you have all A's. And then, once you have all A's, there's still only going to be a 20% acceptance rate. Or, or like Premier League football teams. Of the one and a half million boys who uh, play f structured league football, in England, only 180 of them will play in the Premier League. It's that kind of standard that's being set in order to be a disciple of a rabbi and eventually become a rabbi. Jesus is scouting in the non-leagues. Jesus is not doing trials. Jesus is not looking at your exam results. Jesus comes to you. He doesn't wait for you to come to him. He's not looking for you to be super impressive. He comes to you. He says, come, follow me. He's not taking applications. Imagine the shock of Philip. Follow me. Not, go on, impress me. But come, follow me. 
I imagine that the type of people that Jesus is calling are the type of people that would have felt overlooked. Would have felt like nobody really took much notice of them. Ordinary people do ordinary things. Maybe you feel like that. Jesus, he's coming to you. He comes to you. And like Andrew, Philip immediately invites other people. If you notice this so far, there's this multiplication thing going on. It's also a little hint that we're looking at a new creation, a new kingdom, an Eden-like place where multiplication, filling the earth, is supposed to take place. And here we have it. Philip immediately invites other people as well, just like John the Baptist invited his disciples, then Andrew invited Simon Peter, and now we have Philip inviting Nathaniel. He says, we have found the one Moses wrote about in the law, and about whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph, verse 45. But can I be really clear about something here? Jesus' call to anyone to ordinary people like me and you, doesn't cheapen the standards that Jesus sets. In fact, Jesus comes as everything that the rabbis are trying to discover. This rabbi sums up the teachings of the law and the prophets of all the Old Testament. It affirms every single word. And actually, he's bringing together all of these strands of Scripture in himself that were always about him, and he's showing all these rabbis, hey, you thought that went down this path, and you thought that went down that path, and you thought this, and you thought that, but actually all of those different paths, they just led to me. I'm the rabbi of rabbis, the teacher of teachers. I am the Torah become flesh. And as we'll discover, Jesus' standard is not your ability, but your heart. He is not interested in how impressive you might be, but he's very interested in you, and he wants all of you. Nathaniel was from another Galilean town. There's probably some local rivalry going on and a bit of Galilean kind of self-deprecation. So he says, can anything good come from Nazareth? Really? It's actually also a really easy dismissal for Jesus being the Messiah because if he's from Nazareth, he's not from the town of David. He's not from Bethlehem. And Jews, good Jews would know that he's supposed to be from the town of David. But actually, I suspect that Nathaniel here was going to find out in conversation with Jesus after he's convinced by Philip not to just sit on his surface level objection and come and see that he'll see that, well, he might have been from Nazareth, but Joseph's hometown was Bethlehem. And so during the census, he went back there and with Mary, and he was born there. 
Now, what we see is Philip inviting Jesus to do something that maybe we could just miss. Because when he says, come and see, in the same way that Jesus said it in verse 39, he's saying, come and consider and reflect upon halacha, which means the way. Come and reflect upon whether or not you think this truly is the Messiah, the way, the one who really does sum up all the teachings of Judaism. In summary, come and see if this is the fullness of God's revelation in a person. And come and see, is he the blessing that we all desire, that we all need? Come and dig deeper. And so my question for you is, have you written God off because of something someone said once? And did you really look into it? Did you really inquire of God? Because I know if you really inquire of God, you will find the answers. You'll find the answers here in his word, and you'll find that in his word you will see that the fulfillment of all of it is Jesus himself. The one who's come to you. Jesus has come to us. To ordinary places. He's not hanging out in Westminster, Holyrood, Cambridge, Oxford. He's come to us, to Mary Hill, to Glasgow. He's come to ordinary people. But he doesn't just come to us, he also sees us. He sees everything about us. Verse 47, Jesus says to Nathaniel that he is an Israelite without deceit. What does that mean? Well, it means that he's not cut up with the wrong desires and motives. He's a genuine seeker. The phrase is actually supposed to jog the memory of those listening in synagogues of a key character in Genesis called Jacob. Jacob was honoured as the father of the twelve tribes of Israel. But he was only honoured by God's grace. And that's a really important thing to remember. All through Scripture, God brings about revelation. He brings about a revelation of who he is through grace. And he chooses people to come and reveal more of him through grace. Not by deserving it, but through his unmerited favour. And uh, Jacob, if you remember, was desperate for the blessing of his dad, Isaac. He wanted approval. He wanted, in this patriarchal society, he wanted the lineage. He wanted to be the one who received the inheritance. And so he deceives his dad, pretending to be the favourite son, pretending to be Esau. And Isaac even says, Jacob came deceitfully. And Jacob ends up in a total mess. He's wrought with guilt, and he's look, eventually he starts to look for forgiveness. 
and he's now desperate after his father has died he's desperate to find favor with his brother Esau who he's wronged he thinks it might help because well you know he certainly didn't find deep satisfaction true blessing from his dad's blessing and inheritance one night after sending gifts on to his brother full of anxiety he gets into a wrestle middle of the night some guy comes and starts wrestling with him and it says that he wrestled with them until daybreak and it went on and went on and went on to the point that this guy he's wrestling with actually takes his hip out of his socket and Jacob still doesn't let go why why doesn't he let go he says he doesn't let go because he doesn't want to let go until he receives his blessing why because he's realized true blessing comes in this man I'm wrestling with the man blesses him and he calls him Israel he struggles with God and so when Jesus says here's an Israelite without deceit he's saying "Ah, you've already realized where the blessing comes from you're seeking for the for the, the blessing from the right places you're seeking blessing from God not by trying to please your dad find favor with other people not by any other means but by God the only place that true deep satisfaction can be found Nathaniel recognizes Jesus supernatural discernment he knows that's me so when he says how do you know me Jesus replies I saw you while you were still under the fig tree before Philip called you he sees him he knows him he sees you he knows you now I have got zero insights into what was going on under the fig tree man I have read around (laughs) all these different people who think this and think that I don't think anyone knows but maybe that's okay because Jesus knows that's the point Jesus saw him and he knew what was going on in his heart he knew what was going on in his life he doesn't miss these things and he's not missing what's going on in your life you may feel like no one sees what you're going through right now Jesus sees it he knows exactly what you're going through there is not one detail in your life that he misses point is Jesus sees it all there is no secret thought no desire no pain that he doesn't see if you think you're struggling alone right now you don't have to be because Jesus is looking on with compassion empathy and love and he sees you you're not unseen then Nathaniel in verse 49 gives the greatest declaration yet 
as we go through this biography of Jesus. He says, Rabbi, Son of God, King of Israel. Jesus is coming to us and he's seeing us, but it's, it's actually just the beginning because of who he is. And he is also with us. He's alongside us. Jesus says to Nathaniel, you will see greater things. He says that angels will ascend and descend on the Son of Man. What? Is that not the kind of passage you read and go, what's that about? I don't get that. Well, Jesus is actually sticking with the Jacob theme. Genesis was written in Moses' day. Philistines and Philistines and other pagan worshippers had all kinds of different ways in which they worshipped the gods. And actually we know that one of the things that they did was to build these enormous mounds that were to sort of reach up to the sky and then they would build staircases going up them to the top. And the whole idea is that you would, you would go up them because you get closer to the heavens, you get closer to the gods and you can meet with the gods at the top like people do today, let's be honest. Like the Tower of Babel back then as well where the people wanted to, to build this tower of their own fame and reach up into the sky so that they might be closer, more like the gods. The blessing was up, and today we do it too. We want to climb the corporate ladder of blessing, receive more, receive more accolades, more recognition. Aren't I great? Here's some cash as well, and I'm climbing, and I'm just going to keep on climbing. Like Hindus and Buddhists who have shrines reserved for mountains in the Himalayas, the biggest mountains that there are. They go up to meet the gods. What are you climbing up to get life? Where are you looking for life? Where are you looking for blessing? Where is your version of blessing? What are you climbing? What are you working so hard to get? Because if you think you get it, then you'll be happy and satisfied. Now in that context, where Jacob is sleeping one night, probably close to one of these ziggurats, that's what um, they were called in Mesopotamia, God gives him a dream. And we might know it as Jacob's ladder or staircase in Genesis 28. God opens the heavens and angels, God's messengers, go up and down these stairs. If you've got a Bible with you, turn with me back there. So Genesis 28. And I want us to notice something. Genesis 28, in verse 13, it says, There above it, the steps, stood the Lord. But notice there's a little reference 
to a note below in the NIV saying, or there beside him, beside Jacob, which is how Jesus has interpreted it here. He's this figure. He is beside Jacob. Now, it's really important that we see that actually the figure was at the foot of the stairs because what that means is it radically changes how we pursue God. It means that we don't have to try and climb our way up to the heavens, but that God has opened the heavens up and come down to us. I think Jesus, in that dream, is the one standing at the foot of the stairs. And here is Jesus saying, that's me. And here I am, I've come, I'm the fulfillment of that dream. I have come down from the heavens and I've brought heaven with me. You don't need to work your way up, because I've come to you. And now... I've come to stay, to be with you. How will he do greater things? Because Jesus is with him. How will the disciples do these greater things? Because Jesus is with them. How will we do these greater things? Because Jesus is with us. He's with you. He's right beside you. The how to be with God manual radically changes when we see it this way. We need to stop trying to earn the right because Jesus himself has done that for us. And actually the blessing that comes, that's going to come, that's declared in this dream to Jacob is this. I am the Lord, the God of your father Abraham and the God of Isaac. I will give you and your descendants the land in which you are lying. Your descendants will be like the dust of the earth and you will spread out to the west and to the east, to the north and to the south. All peoples on earth will be blessed through you and your offspring. Who's his offspring? Jesus of Nazareth. I am with you and will watch over you wherever you go and I will bring you back to this land. I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. Someone's having a good time. I hope it's not my son. <laughs> no, I don't want it to be anybody else's either. <laughs> but I can't do anything about it. <laughs> the figure who said he was God is beside Jacob. He's come down from heaven to earth and he's promised to bless the whole world through his ancestors. He's the man Jacob wrestle with, wrestles with, and he's the man at the foot of the stairs. He's God. And now Jesus says to Nathaniel and to these ordinary Galileans, you will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Isn't that wonderful? Ordinary people. God himself comes and encounters where they are. No matter where they're at. No matter how unimpressive they are. No matter how unholy they are. 
I'm so glad for that. Jesus is saying, I'm the source of that blessing. I'm the one delivering God's message and bringing heaven down. I am bringing life and deep satisfaction to you and all who will believe in me. And I'm the way to heaven, to blessing. And that makes sense now of the final three words of our passage, son of man. Jesus has given this flurry of Old Testament references and this crescendo before silence falls until that third day suddenly makes total sense. And it's one that he will make of himself again and again and again. Have you noticed this so far? Actually, Jesus hasn't really called himself anything. This is the first time he does it. Everybody else is saying, oh, he's, he's Messiah, he's the Christ. He's the King of Israel. But here Jesus calls himself something for the first time. And he says, I am the Son of Man. Sons of men were just how humanity was described. But this, this Son of Man is actually looking back at Daniel 7. And in Daniel 7, there's a Son of Man, one who is like a Son of Man, who is doing God-like things. Things that were only reserved for gods in those cultures. He was riding on clouds. And then he had this dominion and this kingdom that was everlasting. So he's looking back at the Son of Man that everybody in these synagogues would have heard about. That we're looking out for. They're looking for this Messiah. They're looking for this Son of Man. And he's saying... I am him. But you know what's really fascinating about the way that Jesus uses Son of Man after this? He uses it again and again to talk about going to the cross. Well, that seems odd, doesn't it? Because the Son of Man in Daniel is this great king who's going to come and have dominion over all things. He's going to bring this almighty kingdom that is indestructible. And he rides on clouds. Well, Jesus says, I'm him. But I'm also the suffering servant of Isaiah. I'm the one who will go to the cross. I'm the one who will be pierced for your transgressions and your iniquities. I am the one who has come to remove your sin and to make it possible for you to encounter God to know him, to be with him. Not by your own merit, but by Christ's, by Jesus, by the Son of Man. The Son of Man, this perfect God-man, goes to the cross and he takes on all our mistakes, all of our sin. And when he does, he makes a way for us to be with him forever and to not be selected on our merit which was never going to be enough we were always going to fall short of his glory we were never going to reach the blessing we were never going to get back to eden but through christ blessing comes deep satisfaction comes the blood flowed and it was a better word than any other word upon this earth there is no way of receiving the blessing except through the Son of Man, pierced for our transgressions and bruised for our iniquities. 
He makes a mockery of the assumptions of all the rabbis' predictions of how the Messiah is going to come and bring blessing. But Jesus brings together beautifully this tapestry of Scripture and shows it's all about him. That's where we find deep satisfaction. Like Nathaniel, let's take his example and turn away from believing that we get blessing anywhere else and trust in the one who has come to take our place on the cross, defeated all that separates us from him, sin, Satan, and the curse, and rose to bring us new life on the third day. And that, in chapter 2, verse 1, is what we see when Jesus brings about this glorious miracle of turning water into wine, blessing the fruit of the vine. And then we'll read later in chapter 15. When he says, I am the vine, you are the branches. And he'll tell us that no one comes to the Father except through him. If we want this blessing, we need the Son of Man who went to the cross as a suffering servant. And we need Jesus. And we need to see that it's not about us. Let's stop trying to climb these mountains. Jesus has come down the mountain to you. And he's opened heaven up for you. Like Psalm 32 says, Blessed is the one whose sin the Lord does not count against them, and in whom his spirit is no deceit. Let's not deceive ourselves. Let's be like Nathaniel and receive the blessing of the king. This week... If any of these three things happen to you, I want us to speak some truth to ourselves. If self-doubt comes to you, tell yourself this, Jesus has come to me. And he said, follow me, come with me, know my ways, have an adventure of faith with no standard required. Don't doubt yourself, believe in Jesus. If you're feeling unnoticed this week, remind yourself, Jesus sees you. There is nothing he does not see. He's attentive to you. He cares for you about every single thing in your life. When you think you're alone, preach to yourself, I'm not alone. Jesus is with me by the power of the Holy Spirit. And he's proved it. The Son of Man raised up onto the cross, resurrected on the third day, ascended on high in the clouds, Son of Man reference, poured out his Spirit. And now he's with me. I'm not alone. Away from me, Satan. I'm not alone. Let's take these horrible lies destroy them with the word of Christ, the fulfillment of the Torah.